Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pegasus Podcast presented by Night Sports Now. This is episode 10. I am Bailey Adams, and I'm joined, as always, by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and go ahead and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now while you're there. Christian, we've got a, a lot of fun stuff to get to, but before that, uh, you turned 24 this week, didn't you? So uh, I did. How, how's 24 treating you so far? Pretty much the same as 23 was. Still, uh, you know. You mean you don't feel anything different at all? That's that's two birthdays in a row now. I couldn't really do anything because of a pandemic. But hey, what do you mean? We just went we went mini golfing last night. We did. That is true. That was that was fun. fun. But it was like your, three, it, it was like three days after my birthday, so I didn't really identify it as a birthday event. I guess so. It's your Kevin Smith year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Why didn't I tweet that on my birthday? I don't know, but I mean, you still can. You're still 24 for another 360 two days 61 days something like that wait yes 361 yeah i didn't didn't want to do the math (laughs) but i put myself out there for a second but yeah cool i'm glad you're uh enjoying the first few days of your your kevin smith year except for anything that happened with the magic today i guess you're not really enjoying all that we're not getting into that but we're not going to get into that what we're going to get into today uh tonight on this uh, episode 10 is some some big what ifs in the history of ucf football and it's probably going to be a little bit, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be maybe a little bit painful in times. And it's going to be just kind of interesting to get into those. And, you know, before we get there, kind of what got us onto this topic was uh, a big what if that came out of UCF women's basketball season on Monday. They uh, exited in the first round of the NCAA tournament, uh, losing to Northwestern. And Diamond Battles, one of their leading scorers, was carried off the court after playing just 14 minutes and scoring six points. And at the time, uh, UCF was leading. Northwestern and of course they ended up uh, falling just short uh, in the end and so now there's obviously that what if of what if battles doesn't get hurt you know does UCF advance how far do they go how long does the run last so obviously kind of just it's just tough to have your season end on that kind of what if Um, but nonetheless it was a a great season for for women's basketball and for coach Abe the program is very clearly still headed in the right direction I mean I, I don't know that you know, you're going to put too much stock into another first round exit, which is tough, but just the circumstances were, were not, you know, the greatest. No, I, you, I, I don't know what you would, I don't know how you take away from this season, anything, but complete success. Like, yeah, they didn't win the tourney game and obviously that sucks, but when your star player and she is like incredibly important, everything they do goes down early and they were doing good up until when she got hurt. There's just not much you can do. It's just unfortunate, but Abe just has that team so well positioned for the future, assuming she stays and everything because at this point someone could come get her. I mean, two tourney appearances in three years. They came a win away from the conference this year. I they're they I mean they're like of all of UCF's teams. I think I'd pick them to be the most set for long term success right now. So they're yeah. I mean it's just exciting spot. The consistency of you know they win twenty games every year. I know this year was a COVID shortened year, so didn't get the chance to get to twenty this year, but still. Just 20 wins every year, it seems like, and it's just almost an automatic at this point. So, yeah, I think they're well positioned for the future, and it just it just sucks for the the season to end on a what if like that. But speaking of what ifs, we're gonna we're gonna get right into some of our biggest what ifs in UCF football history, and um, we're gonna kind of gonna stay a little bit away from recent history. So, like, we're not gonna go into what if like McKenzie Milton never got hurt. What if Scott Frost stayed? We're gonna stay away from uh, actually we're gonna stay away from Daryl Mack Jr.'s injury as well. 
So we just kind of talked about the thing. That the thing about the Milton one to me, especially because we talked about if we wanted to do that, like what is there to talk about? Like what if Milton didn't yeah. get hurt? Oh, well then UCF would have won a lot more games than they did yeah, in 2019. That, like that's, that's it. That's all you can say. <laughs> that conversation, as fun as it might be to think about, you know, what UCF would have been like had Milton never gotten hurt. It just wouldn't be that long of a conversation and the podcast would probably no. last about five minutes. And, and I think it'll be fun to talk about some stuff. That's not like the everyday Twitter conversations of night. Asia. Right. Like, you know, Right. And that's kind of what we're going to get into. So it, it's a little bit, um, you know, those are the kind of the only things that are really off the table, I guess I would say. Um, so I'm with that, Christian, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and give you the floor for, for your first what if. Ooh, I'm starting. That's exciting. You're always I, starting. Um, I don't know why that's exciting. <laughs> you're right. I just realized that. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> for the first time in the history of the Pegasus podcast, I'm going first. Um, my first hypothetical is what if the Big East does not collapse after UCF joins in 2011? So little history lesson for all of y'all listeners. I know Bailey knows this, but just for background. So the American, the American Athletic Conference once upon a time was known as the Big East. And under the BCS system, which ran from 1998 to 2013, the Big East was a power conference. It was the same as the ACC, the Big Ten, whatever. It was a power conference. There were six power conferences. They were called automatic bid conferences back then. And that, like it is now, was UCF's big ambition to get into one. And the Big East was there like the whole time, like from early 2000s, their goal was like, get to the Big East, get to the Big East. USF was in the Big East. It was geographically made sense. And then finally in 2011, it happened. UCF was invited to join the Big East. And like, listen, if you weren't around back then, it like if right now, like if tomorrow the Big 12 invited UCF, that's what it was like. Like it was like, we've made it. We're finally in the big boy conference. This guy's let UCF like rushed all these projects. They're like, we're going to start building stuff because we have all this money. And it was just this huge, huge deal. UCF was finally going to be a power team. And from that point, UCF, I believe, was invited in December of 2011. Within a year, it had all just completely fallen apart. The conference had collapsed. Um, a bunch of teams had left to go to various other conferences. They weren't, when the playoff system started, they were no longer an automatic big conference. They had to change their name. They became the AAC, which is what they are now, a group of five conference. So Bailey, I, let's just say the point that I'm picking where it wouldn't have fallen apart was in May, after UCF was invited, they were invited in December. In May, the what was then the Big East's commissioner resigns because they felt like it wasn't going well. He was basically forced out, and things fell apart very quickly. Louisville decided to leave. Notre Dame left after that. Rutgers left. Then all the basketball school, and it just totally cascaded. So let's just say that for whatever reason, the commissioner is not forced out, and things stabilize in that spring, and we go into this new era with this team. Let me give you what this conference would have been, and then let's get some reactions. So if it holds. Your football playing teams are Boise State, Cincinnati, Houston, Louisville, Memphis, Navy, Rutgers, San Diego State, SMU, UCF, UConn, USF. I'm sad. Because, <laughs> I mean, it really it does. It sounds like the, the better parts of the AAC with, you know, the best parts of the Mountain West and – some you know some extra ones in there it just seemed like a, a more fun conference and you know again I think we can talk about how the the AAC has come a long way from from where it started because it really was it was just kind of the scraps of the big east but and it's come a long way in a lot of sports and I think in, in football is included in that but I mean when you compare it to what it could have been and when you compare it to the the status it had as you know one of the bigger conferences it's just I mean, I can't, you can't call it a missed opportunity because it's not like anyone's fault at UCF or anything. It's just one of those like circumstantial things where it's just like, oh man, like how, why, like why did this have to fall apart? Yeah. I, it's just, it's like, 
it would have been a power conference. I mean, they would have kept their, it basically the, what, how that would have translated into the playoff there is that the American champion or the Big East champion would have had an automatic bid to a New Year's Six Bowl, which is really on paper the only thing that separates the difference, which I guess that it's interesting to talk about how much the American has grown because the, uh, it, it almost feels like that is a little bit the case now. I mean, every year since 2017, the AAC champ has gone to a New Year's Six Bowl. It's not locked in and the bigger difference is the money. But in a lot of ways, the AAC has grown to be similar to what the fallen apart Big East almost became. Yeah, essentially, yeah. I mean, and that's and that's the thing too is like when you think of the beginning of the AAC, because that first year in 2013, it was still an automatic bid, right? I believe. Yeah, that UCF. Yeah. If fans don't know, UCF didn't get a Group of Five bid to go to the Fiesta Bowl. That was because yeah. the AAC was still technically the Big East that year. So as the champion, UCF got to go to the bowl. Yeah, and if you just think about that year, obviously. Louisville was still on the schedule. Rutgers was still on the schedule. And I know Rutgers isn't, you know, ever since they've left and gone to the Big Ten, I mean, they have fallen apart as a program. They were a decent program in the Big yeah. East, though. I think they were an eight-win team the year. You they usually people. were. They usually were, like, pretty decent eight, nine wins. I know because that was when they had – or the first time they had Greg Schiano, um before he came and ruined the Bucks for a couple of years. <laughs> but it was just – yeah, and the Rutgers was actually a decent program. And then, of course, before then, it was West Virginia was still in the – Big East, but I guess that they wouldn't have been part of the this new. No, they were. But, it was the West Virginia, Syracuse, and Pitt were the defectors yeah. that allowed UCF and that group to come in. Yeah. But let me tell you what would have been the major difference and why this would have been a power conference is let's talk about the basketball side of things at the mm. point that UCF joined. If this hadn't yeah. fallen apart, so the other th- the reason for those of you that don't know is that the AAC is called the AAC and not the Big East is because after football started falling apart, all the basket there were a bunch of basketball schools which you've heard of. And they were like, oh, well, this just feels like a football conference now. It's not working for us. We're going to leave and we're going to take the Big East name. So bye. So this would have been if things stayed together right before they fell apart, when the commissioner resigned and everything else, this would have been your basketball conference. It's a lot of teams. So get ready. Cincinnati, DePaul, Georgetown, Houston, Louisville, Marquette, Memphis, Notre Dame, Providence, Rutgers, Seton Hall, SMU, St. John's, Villanova, UCF. UConn, USF. That is a really difficult conference. That's a conference like, that UCF, UCF like UCF struggles enough in the AAC, right? As it is right now, I don't know that. But that's also a conference where UCF would go like seventeen and thirteen, and then make the tournament. That is <laughs> like true. that's yeah, because that's what happens. That's what happens in the SEC. The Big Ten, you see teams that like overall the record will be I don't know, say what nineteen and twelve but they're in the big 10. So they, you know, that's still a decent, decent enough record to be a pretty decent seed in the, in the tournament. So yeah, you're right about that. It's just when you, when you run all of those teams down, you think about what a schedule would look like for UCF in that conference. It sounds like a fun schedule in terms of like, wow, those are a lot of big matchups, but it also kind of sounds like, Ooh, that's a, that's some tough ones. But the thing is in basketball, especially men's basketball, like the big thing is, your wins, you know, what, how, what quality wins do you bring to your resume? And like in that conference, basically every game you play is an opportunity for one. So you just, you put together a decent winning season and you would. And the other thing is that we talk about why in football too, why it would be so crucial for you to get the power conferences playing teams like that just helps your recruiting. UCF would have been recruiting at a much higher level in basketball. Now the flip side of this is that UCF would have been going into this conference with Donnie Jones as its head coach in men's basketball. So that would have definitely (laughs) slowed things down for the time being. But one interesting thing I ran across when I was reading about how this all fell apart was I went past this point because I felt like we were past the point of no return when this happened. But as teams continued to sort of leave and it was falling apart, and this was around the time that Boise State was like, I think we're going to leave. That was when the Big East was like, we're going to go get Temple out of the MAC. And that was how Temple came to be an AAC member. But part of that 
was when Temple was going to join Villanova. I never knew this. I found this out when I was doing research. Villanova said, hey, what if we come up from FCS to FBS and we'll join the conference as well? And it was this whole thing. They were putting funds together to build football facilities and, and Villanova was going to be an FBS team and join UCF's conference. And then all the basketball schools were like, we're going to go. And Villanova was like, oh, we don't care about football then. And that was, that was yeah. the end of that. Yeah, no, it's good that you, you mentioned the point about recruiting too, because I was about to get onto that about, you know, if, if you're looking at it, it's a, still a power conference, I think, you know, you have the resources that come with that, the recruiting that comes with that. I think UCF basketball could, like, like UCF football, uh, look much different than it does now. But yeah, it's still, that would have been, you know, it, it's just one of those things where you look back and you're like, you wish you would have gotten to see it at least for just like a year or two, like at, yeah. at the very least, like, could we have just gotten some of it, just a taste of it? Because the thing is football, the football side of it, I feel fairly confident because this was how the Big East was perceived this last decade. It would have been considered the worst power conference. I do yeah. feel that would have been the reputation, but it still would have been a power conference. And one thing I found interesting though is how much money has changed. So when UCF joined the Big East, at the time they were in Conference USA and their, their TV revenue for being in their conference was nothing. It was in the hundreds of thousands. It was not anything. And in joining the Big East, they were expecting to get 10 million a year, which sounds like a lot when it became the AAC their TV deal fell apart and UCF ended up getting a little under a million a year but the TV deal the AAC just signed this past year is for seven million a team so really it's like in a lot of ways the current AAC is approaching what the Big East was going to be I just that was what kept standing out to me when I researched stuff is it's just how much the AAC has distanced itself from the rest of the group of five power six well <laughs> no but 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 I, I mean really is interesting how sort of I guess these were like, when you look at the big East, it was going to be a collection of the best group of five teams and some, and some power five teams. And that's what it ended up being. And I don't know why people assume that would then just be a group of five conference. Like, of course it was going to be better than the rest of the group of five. Yeah, no, it, it definitely would have been. And yeah, I mean, again, it just, if, if we would have gotten to see that even for a year or two, it would have been a lot of fun, but go ahead and uh, go ahead and move on to, unless you have anything else to share about, you know, that's, that's just an interesting topic. I think we could, we could talk about that for the entire No, that's podcast, why I did this but... one first. Cause I just, I have so many rabbit holes on this yeah. one. I was like, we should just do that. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I think as far as like, I think it changes the other UCF sports a lot more than it changes football. I think football's trajectory is largely the same because they yeah. became a brand either way, but like you, we could have had a UCF basketball or tournament regular things like that would have been really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And speaking of football, my, my first is, uh, what if UCF beats South Carolina in 2013? So 2013, of course, was the year they went to the Fiesta Bowl with just the one loss, and it was to South Carolina, who at the time was ranked number 12. UCF turned the ball over four times in that game at the bounce house and still only lost by three points. And just, I don't know, you just think about that game. Had they, you know, turned the ball over less or, you know, found, found a way to win that game, you know, that's, a, that's an undefeated season. And you just kind of wonder what the conversation would have been like around that season, because as it was, they lost a game. And, oh, it was a great season. They won the Fiesta Bowl and they came back as they come as this, this underdog and, you know, beat Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl. But I just kind of wonder what kind of like, where would, where would the wall have been put up in the top 25 for UCF that year? Cause we talk about it a lot for 2017 that, you know, they were undefeated. They're winning all their games, but after a while, the committee and, and the polls were just kind of, no, you're not, you're not rising up anymore. But at this stage, at this stage, I just kind of wonder, because at the time South Carolina was number 12. So it would have been a top, top 15 win for UCF. They would have been four and O and likely probably would have gotten into the AP top 25 from there. As it was, UCF didn't get into the top 25 until uh, week nine after they beat number eight Louisville on the road. 
Um, so the way it just kind of went was from the AP side of things, they entered at 21 and then this was how they went over the next few weeks. Just they kept winning games. They went 19 and then after a bye week stayed at 19 up to 15. Then after the temple game, they dropped to 17 and they stayed at 17 back up to 15 back up to 15. And then the final AP ranking was number 10 after they beat Baylor. And on the BCS side of things, it was really more, a, a lot more stagnant. It seemed like they entered the BCS for the first, first BCS standings. They were number 23 and the highest they got was, was their final ranking was 15 um, before the, the uh, Fiesta Bowl. So I'm just kind of wondering, like if they had gone, if they had run the table and gone undefeated, how, how high in the top 10 would they have been? Because they would have had a top, a, a win over number 12, South Carolina, and a win over number eight, Louisville and they would have been undefeated. They would have won their conference. I'm not saying they would have been in the BCS title game because the BCS never had them even really close to the top 10, but it's just, you know, what would that season have looked like? Would there have been more conversation about, you know, what would it have helped the playoff conversation? You know, cause I know that that was still the BCS at that time, where it was the top two teams in the, in the rankings. I'm just wondering what the conversation would have been like around UCF, around the AAC and just in general, like how, how college football looks that year. What's interesting to me, because you're right, UCF never would have been in the title game. That just wasn't going to happen. UCF, the fact that they were 11-1 and one and got as high as 15 with really good wins that year, it just is what it is. But I, I think the interesting part of it is how does that shape the coming playoff seasons if UCF had gone undefeated that year? Because And listen, I don't think it would have been exactly the same as 2017 because UCF was like not the program that was going to make a ton of noise for itself in 2013 like it did in 2017. But you look at the final eight people. If UCF goes undefeated, they finish 10th, which obviously is like amazing in a top 10 season. But if they're 13 and 0, I think they hop all the two lost teams. And I think they obviously hop South Carolina, who finished fourth. I looking at this, I think UCF would have been fourth, fourth or fifth, which is higher than they finished in the Peach Bowl year. I mean, that because it was just kind of the year that shaped up. So, first off, I think UCF's trajectory of a, as a program, if it had posted an undefeated top five season, would have been advanced and 0 and 12 probably doesn't happen you can talk about whether that's a, a good thing or not because 0 and 12 is what led to danny white and scott frost and a lot yeah. of other stuff but yeah i think the more interesting thing is just all the because no remember pre-2017 playoff era 2014 to 2016 group of five teams were like never ranked very very rarely ranked there was never any playoff debate like ucf was the first one that started that so the idea that they could have started that five years earlier basically like that's yeah. like that that makes a big difference i feel like yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned because that's kind of where I like went down a rabbit hole and kind of just like in my my brain with this thing was, you know, 0 and 12 probably never happens. Danny White, Scott Frost, they never get here. And I just it would have changed the course that UCF was on. And I don't know, you know, you know, you don't know if it would have been for the better. I mean, you would think an undefeated season in 2013 would have only led to good things, but what what came of that undefe that uh, 0 and 12 season, you know, I don't think I don't know. Would you trade that in? for a different trajectory because you don't know i don't know it's like what it's like in a deal or no deal like what what you have now like yeah we had the 0 and 12 season but what came after that was so spectacular would you trade that in for the unknown of yeah we went undefeated in 2013 but we don't know what would have come after that i don't know it's just an interesting it's just an interesting parallel with like what would have happened post 2013 compared to what did happen if that made any sense i don't think i kind of rambled there a little bit no i, got, I get what you're saying I, I i've been pretty open before in that i feel that I wouldn't really change anything as far as the 0 and 12 trajectory because I know that 0 and 12 was horrible at the time. And, and obviously at the time it was like the program has collapsed. This is horrible. UCF will never <laughs> be good again. But, yeah. but I mean, really like so much of what the school became was because it kind of had that reset moment. 
But I want to give you a stat about just how I feel like that would have shaped the playoff debate is let me give you an example of pre UCF 2017 group of five treatment 2014, which was the first year of the college football playoff, the final CFP rankings. How many group of five teams do you think they had in the rankings? One. They had one because they had to have one to put them in a near six bowl because there was the automatic bit. It was Boise state who was 20th. That was it. This past season, 2020, the, there were seven group of five teams in the final college football playoff rankings. And the highest one was Cincinnati at eighth. Like that's how much things yeah. have changed in the, in the, since the, so the idea that we could have had been making noise about does a group of five team deserve a shot at a title before the playoff era even started. Like, I think that completely changes the narrative and that, and that changes, and that changes the fortunes of a lot of teams when you start domino affecting that out. Yeah, it's just an interesting kind of it would be interesting to see what the all the results and all the fallout would have been from a season like that if they had gone undefeated. And we kind of talked about it on the um, when we talked about the scheduling, it was um, kind of like, what, what are you what are you looking at to to what are you looking at as success? Like, are you, is the top 25 season? Is that enough? All of that. And you just kind of wonder, like, and we, we kind of what was the thing we said? Um, because the, the argument that the committee always uses, sorry, I'm going all over the place here, but the argument that the committee uses is, oh, if you play a good enough schedule and you win all your games, you're going to get into the, into the playoff. Well, that year, and this wasn't, the, this wasn't a playoff year yet, because that was the next year, but that year, you know, UCF had, like I said, it, it would have been a top 15 win and a top 10 win with the top 10 win being on the road. Like that's the type of resume that you would think in the playoff era that, that they say, oh yeah, you, you would have a shot of being in the, in the top four. So, and like you said, you thought that UCF would have been fourth. So if the playoff had been that year, which is another, if, you know, would UCF have been in the playoffs in 2013? Well, I said, I think they would have been fourth after, after, the, oh, after, after being the, Baylor. Yeah, after I don't the think Baylor. they would have been, I don't think they would have been crazy different. They would have probably been like in the 11 or 12 range pre that. But I, I mean, the narrative from yeah. that year, so I mean, can, even, even still. Yeah. But you can see the road not taken that year because Louisville went into that year with national championship aspirations. And it was kind of a narrative was, mm-hmm. A very common narrative was how unfortunate that they have this peak team of Teddy Bridgewater and they're stuck in a conference where they'll never have the resume to be in the national championship game. Like that was like, and the whole thing was like, well, if they want a shot, they'll have to run the table. And then when they lost UCF, it was like, that's it. They're, they have no chance. Yeah. And sure enough, Louisville that year, I'm trying to pull this up really quickly, but because I remember it was kind of crazy. Louisville that year loses to UCF. That was their only loss. Is that the year they beat Florida in the Sugar Bowl? Or no? No, it wasn't. I think it was. Was it not? Was it? I want to say, yeah. No, I think it was it not. They beat Miami no. in the Rust Athletic Bowl. But they oh, went okay. so Louisville went 12 and 1. Their only loss was to UCF and they finished 15th. Mm-hmm. As a one-loss team, they finished 15th. <laughs> like that's insane. They literally their rankings yeah. at, their rankings after falling to UCF. They were 8th when UCF beat them. They went 18th, 20th, 19th, 21st, 19th, 18th. Like there was just like no. So it's like and that was a brand in the conference. So I think that just sort of showed that when you have a schedule that's perceived as a bad schedule, even if you have those big wins in there, it's just like, there's just nothing. They're mm-hmm. never going to give you a chance. Yeah. I mean, they're always going to move the goalposts. Cause it's like, Oh, you have those two top 15 wins, but like, look at the rest of your schedule. Like how, how many do, how many yeah. top wins if, do you if have? If they had have? played the slog of like, all, if they had to play yeah. eight SEC games in a row, yeah. then blah, 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 it's like, blah, which blah, is what blah. we're going to hear forever. I, I, we're going to hear that until 
one day if UCF gets into a power five, then maybe we'll stop hearing it. But which is hilarious since Clemson in 2019, I don't think they played a single ranked <laughs> team the entire year. Yeah. They spent their spent their season beating up on like Pitt and Syracuse and whoever. No, and it's like, one of those arguments. Games. It's one of those arguments they pick and choose who they want to apply it to. But it it's yeah. So that's that's my first what if. It's just I don't know. That season as it was was already extremely special. But how different would UCF have had looked in the next few years after that had they gone undefeated and won the Fiesta Bowl would have been would have been quite the story definitely so are we ready for my next take or is we, there anything else we are ready for that? your it's it a take or it's is not it a take what it, it, it's, okay. it's good it is it's going to quickly transform into a take okay um, well, go ahead yeah we're, we're good we're good for for your second one we're gonna go way back in the day everyone listeners please travel with me back to the 90s <laughs> um so for those of you that don't know UCF also had a football team in the 90s and uh right when really? they <laughs> i know right some fans <laughs> don't realize that and uh, so they moved up to FBS in 1996 and they had this guy named Dante Culpepper and he was a quarterback and he was pretty good at being a quarterback. <laughs> and uh, in 1998, UCF had this dream season. Two years into FBS, they went nine and two, which they were an independent team at the time. So like going nine and two, playing an independent schedule was like a big deal. And they had an agreement that year that they were going to go to the Oahu Bowl at when the season ended. It was very exciting. UCF, just two years into being an FBS team, was going to go to a bowl game. Listen up, kids. In the 90s, bowl, that was a big deal. I know now it's like, so what, they were going to go to a bowl. In 1998, there were 22 bowl games. Like that, that, like, that, like 85 now. Now there's like literally 700 bowl games. So they're <laughs> like, they're, but literally like going to a bowl, especially as an independent team, that would have been a huge deal. There were literally like, there were every year back then, it would be like power five teams would have winning records and not go to bowls. So like going to a bowl is a big deal. And they had an agreement they were going to go to the Oahu Bowl. And the only thing that could have messed up the agreement is if UCLA, who was literally one of the top teams in the country, I think they were ranked number one or two that year, lost their final game of the season to Miami. So as long as the top team doesn't lose, you're fine. Well, Miami beat UCLA, and that uh, reshuffled all the bowls, and UCF did not go to a bowl in Cole Pepper's final amazing season. So my what if is what if UCF did go to that bowl? What if UCF went to the Oahu Bowl? They probably would have played Air Force that year and won it and had a 10-2, and almost certainly ranked season seven years before they actually went to a bowl and 12 years before they ever won a bowl. How, how quickly does that accelerate things and change their trajectory? And on top of that, they then send a quarterback into the first round of the NFL drafts a couple months later. That's insane. If you were just thinking, yeah, just thinking about that, because like we said with the last one, what would like the ripple effect have been? Like, I just, it's, it's so, it changes everything, obviously. And that's the way this, that's why this kind of gets fun and also a little confusing because you're like, oh, what happens after that? We don't know. I mean, cause you can't just say, Oh, this happened. And then all the same stuff still happened, but it's, yeah, it's one of those things like, would that have accelerated UCF's rise that much? I think it seems certainly like it would have, we'd say two seasons into being in the FBS. Yeah. It was there. It was literally, that was their, it was their third. It would have been their third. It would have been a 10. Yeah. It would have been a 10 win season, 10 win rank season with a first round quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I think UCF may have become a brand even earlier than it did um, had that season gone according to, to what you're saying. And like I said, I think I think one of the big things there is it's not just that them doing that, but it, it they would have topped it off of sending a quarterback into the first round of the NFL draft. Like that's like a mass. Like it would have like I truly think that they would have very quickly become a brand. I don't know how that affects conference affiliation because they were independent at the time. They ended up in the MAC a couple of years later. I think it's more likely they end up in Conference USA faster. I think it's even possible things trajected enough they could have gone to the Big East or in the early two thousands around when USF mm-hmm. was going. So I just, it's a really big hypothetical to me because I truly, truly think that more than any of the other ones that we've talked about so far, 
this is the one that dramatically morphs where UCF is right now. And it's something as simple as just Miami won a game in the regular yeah. season that changed all this. But you're talking about a nothing program elevating itself to 10 wins and we put quarterbacks in the NFL overnight. I mean, that would yeah. in the middle of the state of Florida. <laughs> I mean, that would have completely changed it. Yeah. And you mentioned Miami and, and talk about how UCF maybe would have even gotten into the Big East before, you know, everything went down the way it did. Miami left when Miami left the Big East and when was it 03 or 04 around that time? It was right around there. So you kind of wonder if, if UCF would have been on this upward trajectory, if they would have been a team around that time ish, if they would have said, Hey, let's just add this other up and coming Florida team into the big East and, and see where it goes from there. Yeah. It, it would have changed the, would have changed the trajectory and, and how things played out from there. And I think we would have been talking about it as a brand. Well, I don't know if I would have, cause I was still like, I don't know. I wasn't born in what did you say? Did you say this was 98? Pretty sure you were born in 1998. Okay. Yeah. I was born in 98. You were a young, you were a young to, toddler. I wouldn't Not have been toddler. able to talk about it. My point still stands. I wouldn't have been able to talk about it because I couldn't talk yet. But what I'm saying is that UCF would have become a brand, I think, much quicker and, and earlier than it did. And we, I, I wonder what we would be looking at UCF like now. Like, would, would they already be in a power conference had that happened? It, it's such a big, like, well, it's not a huge what if, but it's just like the ramifications of the what if are so much bigger, like you said, than anything else we talked about. Because yeah. it could have dr- dramatically changed where UCF is right now. And well, it doesn't it, seem like it. It doesn't seem like, oh, oh, yeah, Miami won a game. Like, if they hadn't won that game it wouldn't have changed that one. No, it would have changed a lot. It seems like. Yeah. Because like I said, it's just suddenly you have this brand that's built overnight. And if UCF had capitalized on that, I genuinely think, because you got to look at UCF. I, I mean, it could speed up how quickly they get on campus stadium. It could speed, it could speed up a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, UCF really built off of like, once it got to its first bowl, that was when the ball really started rolling. It was in 07. And then they started making it consistently. Then they won one in 2010. Finally, then they were immediately a ranked team. And then a couple years after that fiesta, like it just yeah. snowballed on itself. So starting <laughs> that, starting that whole process a decade earlier, and if they end up in the Big East in the early 2000s, who the hell knows? They might be one of the teams that's picked up by the ACC or Big 12 when everything falls apart. I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it's such a small thing to literally say, well, Miami beat UCLA, so they didn't go to a bowl. But I truly, and again, this is all, they could have gone to the bowl and gotten blown out, you know, but they were a yeah. really good team that year. I mean, they literally, they went to Auburn and lost by four. Their only other loss was Purdue. And this was back when Purdue was like really good. Mm-hmm. So I, was I Drew just, Brees there at that time? yeah, Drew Brees was the quarterback at the time. Wow. So, yeah, so it's like it, it was, they, I mean, Culpepper was amazing. And I just, it, I know it sounds like a small thing, but man, that could have just, I think that UCF, you just take wherever UCF is now and jump 10 years. And that's what happens if they would have made it one up all day. Do you think that, do you think they drop the Golden and Golden Knights sooner to help uh, the brand? I actually know. I think it's the opposite. <laughs> I think that they've built such a brand with Golden Knights that UCF yeah. is still a Golden Knights to this day. <laughs> Oh, that would be something. That would be something. Because also, on an off note, we're not going to go too far into this, but did you know FIU dropped the Golden? Yeah, they were the Golden Panthers. Yeah, I knew they were the Golden Panthers, but I didn't know they dropped it. I thought they were still the Golden Panthers. Oh, yeah, they dropped it a few years ago, didn't they? Yeah, I didn't even realize that. That wasn't a thing that I that hit my radar, I guess. But and I Florida saw that Atlantic was the Navy Owls. That's a joke, isn't That's it? That's a joke. They were not the Navy Owls. I don't know why I said that like <laughs> an elf when, when Buddy – that's a joke, isn't it? That's Dad? a joke, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Buddy, it's a joke. All right, well, uh, we'll go ahead and move on to the final what if, which is my second one. And it's kind of around the same one as my first one because we're focusing on 2013 still. But it's uh, what if George O'Leary retires after the Fiesta Bowl? Because he kind of seemed like he was – flirting with the idea of retiring and it seemed like it was on a year-by-year basis back then um whether or not he was going to return and of course he did return and in 2014 UCF won a share of the conference um and then 2015 they started 0-8 and he resigned 
he was actually the athletic director that year too. I always forget about that. Uh, he was the interim athletic director, but I was just kind of wonder like what would have happened if he had gone out on top after the Fiesta Bowl win and, and UCF has coaching change then. Cause it, I think it branches off into so, so many different things. Cause it's like, does UCF, do they win the conference? They still win the conference in 2014. Cause they had lost Blake Bortles and they lost some guys to the draft. And you know, that was a, a good team in, in 2013, a lot of seniors, but do they still win the conference in 2014? Does Owen 12, like Owen 12 probably doesn't happen. You know, who is their coach? And if Owen 12, who is their coach? And if that coach prevents Owen 12 from happening, no Danny White, no Scott Frost, no everything that's happened since. So there's just so many different ways that it branches off to if O'Leary had just decided, you know, I've had enough. I'm, I'm getting up there in age and we just won the Fiesta Bowl in our best season ever. I should probably just ride off into the sunset. And he didn't do that, obviously. And a lot of stuff happened. But I, I kind of getting into this, looked into some of the coaches that changed in, in the coaching carousel that year. And we saw Blake Anderson go to Arkansas State. Jeff Munkin went to Army. Dino Babers, who everyone was enamored with during the Scott Frost cycle, uh, went to Bowling Green that year. Brian Harson, who's now at Auburn, is a, was that went to Boise State. Charlie Strong went to Texas. I don't think UCF would have gotten Charlie Strong over Texas. And probably a good thing they wouldn't have done that. Um, Bob Diaco went to UConn and maybe he would have started the civil conflict from UCF side of things. Uh, <laughs> I'm, that, I'm sure that's what would have happened. Yeah. Um, Jeff Brown went to Western Kentucky and Lane Kiffin had gotten fired by USC that year too. So just a lot of names that are you know still around in, in college football these days. Um, but yeah, it's just, there's so much off of one decision that O'Leary made uh, after the 2013 season to come back so much could have changed in, in the future few years of UCF football. Yeah. And I want to say for the record, this isn't like some we've just invented. What if O'Leary stepped down? There was a lot of talk those last couple of years, like after every season, is this it for him? There was a big rumor around that time that he was going to coach because UCF kicked off the next season in Ireland. Um, there was big talk that he was going to coach that game against Penn state and Ireland and then retire. I forgot about that. Yeah. So like he was absolutely on his mind at the time and it was a whole thing. So one, I, I'm going to say right now, I think that 2014 is probably a better year right off the bat without O'Leary, as much as I, you know, respect what O'Leary's done here. And we talked about that extensively a couple podcasts ago. Um, because extensively, extensively. you have to think a different coach doesn't name Pete DeNovo the starter going into the Penn State game. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, UCF went and played Penn State in Ireland and played this quarterback named Pete DeNovo. And he was, it was like arguably maybe like the worst quarterback performance ever for UCF. And then in the second half, they were like, we need to switch things up. So they started the second string quarterback named Justin Holman, who went on to lead them to, I think it was a two point loss. They almost came, they almost came back. Penn State had a game winning field goal and Holman went on to be a really, I mean, he was never like in the conversation of Milton or Gabriel or anything like that, but like he, he became, he became a really good quarterback, led them to a conference championship that year. Stuck Are you sure he wasn't in the conference? He wasn't sure. Are you sure he wasn't in the con conversation with Gabriel? How many podcasts in a row can we hint about my stats <laughs> relating <laughs> Dylan Gabriel? We'll have to talk about that on the next one. Um, we have to, but yeah, I, so that's a big thing for me is just, I think immediately DeNovo is not the quarterback, but no, I mean, out of all the names you listed, the other thing I want to say is Stansbury was the AD back then and he never hired a football coach here. So we don't really have preferences to go on. I'm going to, I'm going to be dead serious right now. I think as far as what UCF's coaching hiring was like at the time, I'd say Lane Kiffin could have been in contention for it. Wow. That would have been weird. That would have been very weird. <laughs> It's just weird to look like you just look what has happened with Lane Kiffin in recent years. And, and since then, since he got fired by USC and to think that he could have been at UCF in 2014. And yeah, I, I do. Poor Pete DeNovo, man, because Pete DeNovo is just remembered for just for that. 
Well, don't play horrible. That's true. No, I mean, it's not. It's not. It's just like, I don't know. You just kind of feel for, for this guy who's starting a game in Ireland. And on a personal note, you know, like over here, I'm waking up really, really early. Oh, UCF's playing Penn State in Ireland. I can't wait to wake up and college football starting. Can't wait to watch this game. And then out of the gate, that's what happens on the field. I'm like, oh, gosh, I should go back to school. So the thing is, I was at the game. So if oh, you're you feeling you if, did go to Ireland. if you're feeling bad for Pete DeNovo, put yourself in the shoes of crossing an ocean to watch a quarterback who's incapable of completing a pass <laughs> and then see if you still still feel bad. I also the Pete DeNovo like stayed here through Frost first season. And then it was some weird thing where Frost just casually one day was like, yeah, we think he left the program. I don't remember that. Do you not remember this? I hope I'm not making this up. I'm going to check out the podcast. But I remember specifically, I was at a presser where Frost referred to it as like, yeah, we believe that Pete's left the program. And I'm like, how do you believe that's happened? (laughs) But but before we get way off topic, I like how you start a hypothetical. We're like, let's just talk about Pete DeNovo. That's my fault. But (laughs) did not see that going that way. (laughs) But you um, look, when you look at Lane Kiffin, he reminds you a lot of UCF's most recent coaching hire at that point, which was O'Leary, which was this guy that had been good at the power five level and shown success, but it was at a point in his career where he'd kind of, lost that credibility to be able to coach there and was looking for another opportunity. He ended up being, I think that was when he went to be Bama's offense coordinator, but he obviously takes a head coaching gig over that. He could have totally been UCF's coach. And I think he would have done a good job here. I mean, UCF then was kind of close to where FAU is now. And he came into FAU and made them a really, really good program. Yeah. And you just, again, with all this, these what ifs, like you just wonder if he would have stuck around for the long haul too, or if he would have been off Eh. after a few years. And uh, I don't know. Cause yeah, he probably he probably would have gone been gone in a few years if they were successful, like we're seeing now with UCF. But I think that's that's another interesting thing too is like that whole process of coaches are here for a couple of years and then gone would have started a little bit earlier than it did. The other thing is this changes the whole AD dynamic because George O'Leary stepped in as interim AD when Stansbury left. So who's your AD if they're searching for one basically a year earlier? Do you do you still end up with Danny White just a year ahead of schedule? Do you end up with someone else who was hot that year? That's weird to think about. Yeah. We're in like a, a whole like alternate universe here of UCF stuff, but. Uh, after 15 years after UCF won its first bowl game in the Oahu Bowl, coach George O'Leary, who somehow <laughs> still ended up the coach, has decided to <laughs> retire. Yeah. And, and is named Lane Kiffin, his successor. Of course, UCF is in the Big East, so they could have chosen Charlie Strong if they wanted to, but he'll, <laughs> se- he'll settle for Texas. I'm sure it'll go well. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure things will go really well at Texas and then go really well at South Florida also <laughs> for that. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and get out of the alternate universe. This was a, a fun little little foray into that uh, that time. I have to. We can't get out yet. Oh we no! Can't get oh, out yet. that's right. We have the the most exciting part of the now, whole thing. Now, for those of you who don't know, this. my dad Roger uh, was also a UCF alum. He went here in ooh, a long time ago in the '80s, I think, back when uh, <laughs> I don't UCF was. like that. <laughs> but uh, so he went. And we told him we were doing hypotheticals. He just started like throwing hypotheticals at me that he thought we should talk about. So we don't have time because we don't want the podcast to be six hours, but I'm just going to throw some out here. We're going to do rapid fire. Roger's rapid fire hypotheticals. And Bailey, you can just give me some thoughts here. So first one, what if UCF was renamed the Sharks? <laughs> I don't like it. I, apparently this was a thing. I didn't know about it. He told me I had to look it up. In the 90s, there was a movement that UCF needed to become the Sharks and it got some traction. The UCF Sharks. If, if they were the Sharks, I think they could like, Canaveral Blue could be one of their like main or the, colors. Or the Golden Sharks. I mean. Oh, no. I, also I feel was like, thinking like Canaveral Blue and like Pewter would be. That would look good. I also, I'm also i not going to say that because I don't want Canaveral Blue in real life. Um, I also feel like Central Florida Sharks sounds better than UCF Sharks. It kind of does. <laughs> I don't know why, but it does. Okay, next one. Next know. one. What if UCF does not build an on-campus stadium? What if they like USF decide it's a waste of money and don't build one? Bad. 
bad, right? Really bad. Bad. <laughs> and this is bad. again, my dad with his ancient wisdom telling me that I had to look up and he was right again, <laughs> that when UCF was like, we're going to build an on-campus stadium, a lot of the fan base was like, that's so stupid. They were like, we have the Citrus Bowl. Why would we ever, they're like what USF is now. They're like, why would we ever yeah. want a convenient Oh, we play in the state of the art. We play in this state-of-the-art NFL stadium. Why would we want an on-campus stadium? So what if UCF listens and goes, yeah, no, no on-campus stadium. <laughs> I, my prediction is they are just USF. <laughs> like, I think that's pretty much how that I mean, would go. Another one. Oh, go ahead. Give a thought. No, I was just I was just saying, eh, like, I don't, I don't yeah. like it. Really, you don't want to be USF? They're so good once every <laughs> five years. Um, next one. What if UCF loses its NCAA appeal and is not ball eligible in 2013, the year that it went to the Fiesta Bowl? Again, everything changes. That changes a lot of things. As much as people don't like to admit or don't like to think about, you know, UCF existed before 2017. Uh, UCF football existed before 2017, and that would have changed a lot of the trajectory in the – I'm saying the word trajectory a lot today, but it would have changed everything about the timeline of UCF football. And, yeah, it would have been been such a downer to have such a good season be like, oh, we can't go to the Fiesta Bowl. I'm going to make a trajectory count when I listen to this. Oh, no. um, it's gonna be I great. don't want to hear it. It's going to be me saying it like 13 times. Probably. It's going to be great. But yeah, that cha- <laughs> it changes a lot. And now 15, it's like a self, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. But that changes a ton of stuff. That, it totally negates where UCF's brand really started. They would probably finish ranked like 16 or 17 if they just went 11 and 1. So a whole different yeah. world. My final one from my dad. What if the civil conflict took off? <laughs> what if UCF like embraced that rivalry and that became a legit rivalry? Does UConn do still leave the AAC? Because their whole thing was, <laughs> UConn's whole thing was, we don't have any natural rivals in this conference. What if come 2019, when UConn was thinking about leaving, they have a tough rival in UCF? No. It never made sense. It never made sense. Conflict. It's in the name. No. no. <laughs> but there's it an never... FL and a C team there. Oh what do you mean? Oh my gosh. I love like the way it was stylized and everything. And I just love, I love that that's a, like a footnote in history. It's just like, yeah, this tried to be a thing. But it I just, just never, it never was. But would do you think it would have become a legitimate thing if UCF's administration would like did the same as UConn? Like they came out and they're like, we've got the conflict, everybody. Maybe like, this is our new thing. Maybe eventually, like the fan bases would have embraced it a little bit more. But on a national scale, no, because at the time everybody just laughed at it nationally and was like, this makes no sense. Like these teams. Well, also rivals. the problem was UConn. Like, it, like let's say they re- legitimately like Diaco was like, I genuinely want to start a rival with UCF. He declared this after they beat UCF in 2014. Yeah. Like they beat it in a big upset because UCF <laughs> was good that year and UConn was typical UConn. And he was like, you know what? This is a rivalry now. So like, of course, when a team beats you and declares we're now rivals, you're not going to be like, yeah, we are rivals. And that's just like, also not how rivalries work. I don't think rivalries just like, oh yeah, this is going to be our rival. Like we're going to make this a rivalry. What like, do you it's, mean? It's BYU, usually a BYU beat thing. us, so we're now rivals with BYU. Is that not the way that works? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, at this point, it feels like we are rivals with Tulsa though. Well, that's that's less rivals than just we hate playing them because they beat us that's every true. single time. Yeah, no, it's honestly the we're tangents, tangents, and tangents now. Of all the teams that like, because I feel like of rivalries in the like in UCF for real, I think it's USF obviously is like our one main rival, and it really feels like Cincinnati's kind of one pal too. I yeah. don't know if I don't know if Cincinnati feels the same way. They might because oh. they make they've always made it a big deal when they beat UCF. Yeah. Um, even when they beat UCF this year when UCF wasn't good. So like yeah. maybe that's a rivalry now, but I don't know. It, those things are organic. It's just, it, it, you, I don't know if a rivalry has ever been successfully forced upon a fan base. I can't imagine one that that was, but well, like I said, we're going to get away from the, the hypothetical universe here and quickly dive into the, the what's going on in reality right now. And last weekend UCF held an open practice. I think their first one since 2015. Is that correct? That is correct. And uh, Gus Malzahn had a, an open practice at the stadium. Fans got to go out. 
Christian was there. And Christian, I'm just going to give you the floor and, and you can run down your quick thoughts before we get into the news section. Yeah, I'll be quick because I don't want to go super long here. But so I, I attended the open practice since it was open. I just went as a fan. Now, <laughs> I was not there. I was not there as a media member. I was there as a fan. The media members who did attend were told that they were not allowed to report on or talk about anything they saw at the practice, which I don't understand why, because it's an open practice, but they were yeah, told like, know. you can't report on depth chart stuff. You can't report on whatever. I was there as a fan. That being said, since we're often credentialed for UCF events, I'm not going to get into any of the like, Ooh, this guy's, you know, was playing well, or the, the clearly yeah. these are your starters, whatever. I just want to talk about Gus Malzahn. And he, I, we've seen practices under Hypel and Frost. Like I've never seen a coach that, and I, I, I was, I wasn't there when O'Leary, so I can speak to that, but I've never seen a coach that was just so like running in between guys who were practicing has something to say about everything. Like he literally, like, I've just never seen someone that involved in a practice and mm -hmm. it seemed really cool. And it seemed like the players were responding to it. And that was really the first time was watching him for the, those couple hours that I really felt like I bought in on like, all right, yeah, like I'm on the Gus bus. Cause like he just, the attention to detail, the, the seemingly involvement and like, I feel like players pick up on that, you know, like players pick up on the coach who's hanging on the sideline, not really out there. Like he's out there, like running next to the wide receivers, making sure they're like doing yeah. everything right. Like, I mean, he's just, he's, it's crazy. And I'm like, I feel like that's a lot of where all this instant love from the players has come from is they've got this coach who's like clearly bought in. Like, this is not a guy who's just here to try to like, you know, get his next job. Like he was so involved mm. in everything. And I just wanted to say really quickly that, and like I said, we can't really get into the other stuff, but you know, if you were there or just go on Twitter, you can see all the other stuff, but yeah, I, it, it was just uh, really, really cool to see a coach like that. And I, I think that's the main difference is what we've got here is that he knows what championship football looks like. And that's obviously yeah. something we're seeing. Yeah. And you can just tell how much he cares. And I just, I like his approach so far. And I like what he was saying. Like, I know people pointed out that there was no music during the first week of practice. And he said, yeah, first week is for teaching there's no music we'll get back to the music like eventually i just li I like that approach because I, I don't like when coaches come and say oh no music like it's all business because you want the players to still be a little bit loose but the way he's doing it i, I just i like that a lot um it just it seems like a nice approach and, and it seems like the players are responding to it which is which is always a good thing and uh we'll go ahead and move into the news section and wrap up um with with the news like we always do and uh, general athletics news uh, within, in accordance with the CDC guidelines and guidance from university health officials. That's the line that everybody uses. Uh, outdoor UCF sporting events will now operate at 50% capacity. Seems a little bit. That's pro that's probably me, premature. Uh, but, we'll see. Yeah, we'll uh, we, we won't get too far <laughs> into that. Uh, football wise and on a somewhat related note, 90% uh, of season tickets are sold out now. And they, they're saying that that may mean that no single game tickets will be sold this fall. I guess that's if they sell out the stadium. Because uh, back in 2019, I believe they said the only single game tickets that were ever on sale were the ones that visiting fans didn't use. So assuming that full stadiums are allowed in the fall, bounce house is going to be full every week, which is going to be nice. Uh, former UCF offensive lineman Justin McRae signed with the Houston Texans and former UCF wide receiver Brashad Perriman. He's with the Detroit Lions now, which uh, should be an interesting, interesting change for him. Uh, volleyball. They uh, received votes in the AVCA coaches poll. They're 12-1 uh, and one overall and 6-0 and oh in the AAC. And I guess it's just tough to crack the top 25 because at 12-5, and one, you would Yeah, I don't, know enough about, I don't know enough about volleyball, but what the hell? They're 12-1. and one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. And that one loss was to a good Florida State program, and it was a 3-2, you know, five-set loss. So uh, it's, it's weird to me. But we'll go on to softball, who had a, a heck of a week. It, it started off on a bad note. They lost two out of three at number 24, South Carolina, over the weekend. They lost nine to one and four to two on Saturday before winning 10 to four on Sunday. 
And uh, that dropped them a little bit in the polls. I think from one, in one of the polls, they went from 20 to 22. But I saw during the uh, Wednesday game against Florida, they were uh, listed as number 24 in some places. So different polls, different rankings. But on, uh, on Wednesday, against number five Florida at the UCF softball complex, uh, a thrilling win for UCF. They won eight to six. They trailed five to one at one point, came back, made it five, five, and then came back again later. And Carissa Ornelas had a walk-off two-run home run to give UCF their second top 10 win, uh, second top five win within the last couple of weeks. UCF's now 20 and six overall as they head into conference play. And their win, the win on uh, Wednesday over Florida was the program's 700th all time. And man, that's, that's the program I'm paying attention to right now. It's just, it's so much fun what that team's doing. It seems really, they can go on a really special run. And I was even asked last night, you know, if I thought they could be hosting a regional come regional time. And given the, the kind of where they are in the polls right now, it, it might be a tough road, but if they're on the same pace that they're on right now and getting all these big wins, it's going to be tough to ignore them. I think uh, baseball, uh, not as, not as fun as softball right now. We can, we can go ahead and say that just to be nice. They won two out of three against Jacksonville over the weekend. They lost two to one on Friday and then won 12 to nine on Saturday and won 10, nothing on Sunday. AJ Jones and Ben McCabe were named to the AAC's weekly honor roll after the weekend. And then they had a shot on Wednesday at a top 15 win of their own. Uh, playing at Florida State, number 15. And they took a lead in the top of the 10th, uh, a 5-4 lead, but then they blew it in the bottom of the 10th without allowing the ball to get hit out of the infield. So just a brutal loss, uh, a brutal way to lose that game. They're now 9-11 overall heading into this weekend. Men's soccer, they continued their hot streak. They won 4-0 against Temple on Saturday, so they're now 4-3 and on the year. And they're in a three-way tie with SMU and South Florida for second in the AAC. The uh, three of them are on 12 points. And the leader, Tulsa, is on 13 points. So a small gap there uh, for UCF men's soccer. Yannick Ertl was once again named the AAC Goalkeeper of the Week. Uh, his second straight clean sheet and his uh, second straight Goalkeeper of the Week award, his third of the season. Uh, Anderson Rosa was named the AAC Defensive Player of the Week with his first career goal in the win against Temple. And Adebayo Berry named the AAC's weekly honor roll. He had two goals in the win against Temple. So... Uh, men's soccer, we talked about them a few weeks ago as being a disappointment this year, and they've turned things around. Quite I, I, I just really quickly, because we're running along, I, I um, just want to apologize because I was very harsh on them, and I said they're the biggest appointment, disappointment in the last decade of UCF sports, and they were like, <laughs> really, Christian? And then just stopped losing, so I yeah. apologize. Although it's a good thing you said that, because that gave them the motivation that they needed, um, Okay, uh, UCF baseball is the biggest disappointment in UCF sports <laughs> in the last decade. Okay, let's see if it works. We'll see if that works in a couple weeks. Uh, women's soccer, they, uh, they lost 2-1 to one at South Florida on Sunday. They're now 2-3-1 and one overall. Uh, but on a more positive note, Top Drawer Soccer named some of the best female coaches in collegiate women's soccer uh, this week, and UCF's Tiffany Roberts-Hadak made the list. So congratulations to her. She's had you know, that program as a con- contender for, for years now. Uh, a lot of tennis news this week, which I know you're all here for the tennis news. Uh, men's tennis, they won 4-3 to three at Florida State on Friday. Uh, they lost four to two at number 17, Georgia on Sunday. And then number 31, Arkansas, they beat them six to one uh, on Wednesday. They're now nine and three overall. And the a lot of rankings came out this week. The Oracle slash ITA singles, doubles, and team rankings were released this week. And Gabriel DeCamps was ranked number four for singles. He's the first player in program history to earn a top five ranking. Uh, DeCamps and Trey Hildebrand came in at number 21 in the doubles rankings. And uh, the team came in at number 26 overall. And in a, a separate poll, the first tennis channel slash USTA college tennis top 25 was released. That's a mouthful on Wednesday and UCF debuted at number 20. So uh, 
good news for uh, top 25 uh, UCF men's tennis right now. Women's tennis, they were off this week, but the, the rankings came out for them as well. And Valeria Zaleva came in at number 25 uh, in singles, which is the highest singles rank ranking in program history. Rebecca Stolmar was ranked number 33, and Evgenia Levashova was named uh, was ranked number number 93. Uh, so three ranked uh, for singles, and Stolmar and Marie Mattel were ranked number 32 for doubles. And the team as a whole was ranked number 18 in the ITA rankings. They're 10 and three overall. Outdoor track and field got started this weekend uh, with a big weekend at the UCF Challenge. They had at least one top five finisher in each event on Friday and then had three record-breaking performances on Saturday. Valerie Lashra uh, broke a record for the uh, 3,000 meter. Ashera Collins uh, had the UCF freshman triple jump record. And Renaya Jones, uh, she took the UCF freshman 100 meter hurdle uh, record. So congratulations to all of them. And UCF didn't stop there. They won three more events on Saturday. Danielle Bess won the 400-meter dash. Katie Pinnell won the 800-meter run. And the team of Renaya Jones, Ciara Hallback, uh, Beyonce DeFreitas, and Daniel Bess won the 4x100 relay, posting the fourth best time of any team in the nation this season. So heck of a start for outdoor track and field. And finally, rowing. They swept all five races on Saturday against uh, Jacksonville and Stetson out on Lake Pickett. Um, and, you know, UCF rowing has been, you know, quietly, I think not, not a lot of people pay attention to collegiate rowing, I guess, but they've, uh, year after year, they're, they're a powerhouse. So they're the school's uh, best program. They, they kind of they honestly are. Yeah. And it's a, a good start for them as expected. So go ahead. The, the schedule ahead, which is a somewhat of a light week, like last week, uh, volleyball will play Friday and Saturday against South Florida softball opens their conference play at Houston with a doubleheader on Friday. And they play a game each on Saturday and Sunday. Baseball has a weekend series at Troy, and they play Tuesday against Jacksonville. Men's soccer, uh, back on the pitch Saturday at South Florida. Women's soccer, Sunday against SMU. Men's tennis with a really busy weekend. They play at number 48, SMU, on Friday, at number 24, Oklahoma, on Saturday, and at number 18, Oklahoma State, on Sunday. Uh, Women's tennis is back on the court Sunday. They play SMU. Uh, Men's golf, they have a Sunday and Monday at the John Haight Collegiate and uh, toasted by UNF up in the Jacksonville area and rowing back at it on uh, Friday and Saturday at the UVA invite in Virginia. So uh, a little bit of a lighter week because uh, both basketball programs are, are done for the season. So uh, a little bit less to get through, but a lot more, I guess, with track and field and rowing. So still a busy time. And speaking of busy, Christian, I know you were busy this uh, throughout the day, picking your uniform of the week. And we'll go run down the previous winners, men's soccer's gray uniforms. They've won their two-time winner. Baseball's Pegasus uniform is a one-time winner, and women's basketball's black uniforms is also a one-time winner. So with that, this is your segment, my friend, and I'll give you the floor. Thank you. I appreciate having the floor. <laughs> um, so I had three finalists this week. The first was our most recent winner, which was baseball's white Pegasus uniforms. Hard to not put those in when they wear them, which I think is why they wear them all the freaking time. Um, then I also had softball, which had their whiteouts, which I am not the biggest fan of typically, but a lot of fans like them. So I figured I'd make them a finalist this week. Spoiler, they're not winning. And uh, then men's soccer who did their blackout uniforms, which I don't think I'd seen before. I don't know if those are new they or if I just... really new or they looked like really just, I don't know, for some reason they looked really sharp. They did. So spoiler, they win. Um, but first in the poll, uh, fans once again picked uh, the white Pegasus uniforms as the winner. They went 40% to 28% for softball, 32% soccer. Sorry, guys. I really like those men's soccer kits. I don't know. <laughs> the thing is, we've really been moving away across all athletics. We've seen them moving away from gold and moving towards white and gray, which I think on the whole is a good move. But those to me, and you can see the photo on my Twitter, is 
like the quintessential how to use gold properly just as a really like take some sleek black uniforms and just use them as like an accent to really pop on it and i thought they did a great job of that i could have even used a little tiny bit maybe more gold maybe on the side paneling but great great uniforms i hope they wear those again this year those just really really nice i don't know they're just striking i feel like just go they look are. at the photo but that is my they pick are. for this week men's soccer takes it for a third time and their second uniform they're uh they're they're becoming the the juggernaut here they're cleaning up now before fall when football wins every week so that's true (laughs) (laughs) gotta get gotta get in while they can but yeah that's a a three-time winner and that's their second uniform that's one so uh they're taking it right now um but yeah for 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 this episode episode 10 that will be it uh thank you guys so much for listening you know we're, we're 10 episodes in now and we're we're still having a great time and you know i'm glad people are listening and enjoying uh, what we have to say, maybe they're not enjoying what we have to say, but they're enjoying just our podcast in general. They might not agree with everything. In fact, they probably don't. But uh, thank you guys for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week for episode 11. And until then, you can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. And once again, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.